Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle. I am your gracious and humble host, Jonathan Wiegand. The guiding beacon of light in these troubled, troubled, troubled times. <laughs> Happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Tis the season for merriment and delight. You got the car- caramel brulees and you got the Muppet Christmas Carol. This is the time for the holidays. And how do we celebrate that on OPP? Well, of course, we cover the Romulans, the big, bad, evil Are they Russian kind of metaphors? We don't know. We're going to get into it. But we're covering the Romulans. And this is one of my kind of favorite villains. So, I mean, nothing says party animals like these guys. This is going to be kind of somewhat brief intro to those pointy-eared bats. Oh, sorry. Family programs. Those pointy-eared gentlemen. Um, We might do a part two. We're we're kind of exploring some things. We'll, We'll see. But, uh... Um, we'll definitely, we'll definitely let you guys know. However, um, I mean, there's so much material guys who could, and, and, and you know this cause you're, you guys are a smart audience. You're, you know, your Star Trek, uh, it could be like four or five episodes long. It could be a very long episode, but I don't want to get into that. We'll keep you updated, but what we are going to cover kind of, like I said, a little bit of brief, we're really going to go hot and heavy into the history going to talk about who they are, their temperament, like what makes them tick, the government style, um, again, like I said, really deep dive into history, um, and then kind of the subsequent history right up until the Dominion War, and because certain actions with the Romulans are kind of uh, into Picard, I don't want to cover that because I don't want to play spoilers, Picard's kind of new, um, so I definitely don't want to play spoiler with that, so We'll go right into Dominion more, but again, we'll keep you updated on next week's news and brews with what what we're going to do. But before we get into the meat of the episode, uh, first I'm going to talk about, um, of course, as the Star Trek community knows, this is about December 2022. If you don't know, listening sometime in the future um, is that Christy Alley has passed away and she's um, had a very big role in Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. So yeah, it was definitely a lost for the Star Trek community. She'll be greatly missed. I think in honor of Christy Alley, I think we should pour a, a giant glass of Romulan ale and deep dive into these nefarious and often dangerous Romulans. I, I don't know, Luna. They're not, no. They're not from Savannah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, let's get into it and light this candle. You just got to get into it. You have to have fun. Luna, you have to have fun. Sometimes accents are going to come through. Anyway, um, so this is, again, a little bit of brief intro. So if you know nothing of Star Trek, which I know there are a few of you that listen, and it warms my heart at night, I go, oh, I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen and that my voice can grace your beautiful ears with the Star Trek lore that you know nothing about. So... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have not been drinking. Stop asking. 
No. I, I don't know. Once a month? Anyway, um, so the Romulan Star Empire, as it is formerly known, is this major interstellar power um, situated primarily in the Beta Quadrant of um, the Star Trek universe. So the Empire encompasses both the Romulan people and their subject worlds and species. They're very much advancing, kind of like the old Romans. You know, that's kind of how they're kind of set up. Not really Russians, but we're going to get into that. Um, they're very xenophobic, very ethnocentric, and they're infamous for their policies on extreme secrecy, deception, territorial expansion. I mean, the Romulan Empire really remained kind of this enigma to the rest of the galaxy well into the 24th century. Very much isolationist, very much don't bother me. It's a society that is largely autocratic with extensive political power residing in the Praetor, who holds authority over both the Romulan Senate and the continuing committee, two of the highest governing bodies of the Empire. However, as for those of you who are big fans of TNG, we know that there is another arm or sect of the Romulan Empire that is very nefarious. Um, significant power and influence is also shared between the Romulan military and their traditional rivals, the state security apparatus, the big baddies, known as the Tall Shi'ar. I'm sure all those little bells are being, oh, I heard that before, Bill, because you have. They're the CIA, the black ops, pretty much, of the Romulan Empire. The crazy thing is, so both the military and the Tal Shi'ar maintain their own fleets of starships and pursue independent and kind of at times conflicting agendas, which is kind of funny because they can't even like, you know, get that right. But anyway, um, unlike their Vulcan cousins, Romulan philosophy advocates the celebration rather than the suppression of instinctual passion and emotion. So as we know, Vulcans and Romulans kind of share the same history. We will get into that. But I mean, that's kind of general knowledge. I'm sure a lot of you already know. But um, that's interesting that they really kind of don't suppress their emotions. And um, they usually typically try to attempt to remain reserved, especially in the presence of outsiders, but will often like kind of revel in strong emotions when alone or among peers or when they're provoked. Um, remember the guy in the DS9 episode? It's a fake or it's a frakes if, if you're into gifts. But yeah, same thing. They're, they give themselves over to emotions a lot. I mean, they can even be like, it's best described, they can be loving and kind in one moment and then violent and brutal the next, just like a cat. So <laughs> are the Romulan Empire cats of the galaxy? I don't know. Well, that's anyway. But I mean, there's a problem, though, when you have unrestrained emotions, just if you're a parent of a toddler, you know what I'm talking about, is that they can just go completely off the rails. You really don't know what's going on. It makes life very stressful, and it, it makes the politics on Romulus very kind of Machiavellian and, and cutthroat. They demand complete loyalty to both the government and the Romulan race as a whole. So since they have that kind of loyalty to the race, this has led to a kind of perverse belief of racial superiority 
among the Romulan people. Remember when I said they were kind of xenophobic? Well, this is it. They enslave other races, treat them as subjects beneath them. So again, these are not the good guys. You know, these are not the people that you kind of want to buddy up with. And so you have this super strong, secretive government. Are they going to be like constantly conquering? Well, yeah, you would think so. But actually they favor kind of observation from afar, intelligence gathering, espionage, and they kind of use violence as the last resort. So it's kind of, I, I could see there's a there's some theories out there that the Romulans actually stand for the USSR, and that's who they are in Star Trek. And it's like, uh, maybe. I don't see that, but anyway, it, it, I mean, you could... I mean, this is the beauty of Star Trek and any fandom. You could argue back and forth, and no one's really wrong. I mean, anyway. <laughs> and, I mean, this kind of gets into, again, why a lot of people think of them as a big, bad dictatorship, a USSR, is that the Romulans place extreme emphasis on control of information and the embrace the dictum knowledge is power. That is perhaps the most defining characteristic of all of Romulan society. Knowledge is power. That's interesting. And I think when I say this next statement, you're like, oh yeah, this totally makes sense. This whole knowledge is power, intelligence gathering, observation, what are they best known for? The Romulan people. <gasps> They're cloaked ships. They're cloaking technology. Oh my gosh, it fits. It's like a puzzle. It all fits. <laughs> Um, I mean, they have cloaking technology on their starships, on their stations, bases. I mean, they even have minefields that are cloaked because that's a good idea. I mean, they, they almost have this reluctance to reveal any and all information that it might illuminate their motivations, ambitions. I mean, it almost borders on the paranoia, if you think about it, um, especially just the most over the most basic facts are restricted to outsiders. So what are they hiding? And I, and to me, nothing. <laughs> I mean, they have their own society, but it's just kind of like this giant game of Machiavellian. And it's kind of if Cardassia was on steroids. That's what I've always thought about it. However, um, and this is where we're going to get into more of the deep dive section. So listen up. It's about to get in the deep water. Put your pool noodle away get your floaties on, we're going and swimming. So what we know about Romulan history can be traced back to the time of awakening on Vulcan. And we're going to get into that and about the philosopher Surik, how they eventually got from Vulcan all the way to Romulan. Romulus. Romulus. What is it? <laughs> Romulus? Is it Romulus? We're cutting all this. Just kidding. Anyway, so let's start with what we know. Again, this is a tough part of any big sci-fi fandom is you literally have so many. You have, you have the books, you have the games, and as we covered a couple weeks ago, it had the big split between the Star Trek Online and the books, you know, or and you had this one canon line and the other canon line. I'm not going to get that specific again. All my research kind of agrees with what I'm about to say. So if I'm wrong, please let me know. Or if I miss anything out, please let me know. 
But let's just start with what we know. So Romulan history, specifically their history before the 22nd century, as I mentioned earlier, the Romulans share this common ancestor with Vulcans. In fact, according to most accounts, Vulcans and the Romulans have only had about 2,000 years to become biologically distinct. So they're pretty much super ancestors. (laughs) But I couldn't talk about the Romulans and the Vulcans without first talking about another species, the Assyrians, and how they might have potentially made the Vulcans and the Romulans. So... In the original series episode, Return to Tomorrow, approximately 600,000 years ago, the Assyrians colonized several planets throughout the Milky Way galaxy, possibly including Vulcan. The implication that the Vulcan ancestors were not originally native to the home planet is kind of a rather controversial, tantalizing idea. Um, In that one episode I mentioned, Return to Tomorrow, According to Spock, this would explain certain elements of Vulcan prehistory. Uh, Historically, the Vulcans were far more violent people. They raged constant warfare among each other, um, and their technology eventually advanced to the point that it threatened the extinction of their species. Their entire species was at stake. And how did their species get saved? Well, it was a Vulcan philosopher named Surak. And I am guarantee you, if you're into Star Trek, you've heard that name. Um, he led a widespread reformation, kind of the same way Martin Luther did for Protestants and the Catholic, you know, not going to go to that, but he kind of, Surak led a widespread reformation on the planet and came to be known as the quote-unquote time of awakening. Um, Surak's followers embraced this logic and pacifism while purging all all their emotions. And fun fact, I found out that some Vulcans actually were practicing this 3,000 years earlier, but there were some that rejected Sarek's teachings. And those people became known as, you ready for this? They were known as people who marched beneath the raptor's wings. And they engaged in a violent, destructive civil war with their Vulcan brethren and they used atomic weapons. However, so these dissidents eventually lost the war, which may have lasted a century, you know, before the time of awakening even began. It's just really tough to tell because it gets kind of murky exactly with this timeline. Again, we're piecing together things across different shows and deleted scenes as we'll get into. So, but eventually these people left Vulcan to settle on other planets. Technically, it's never been stated on screen that this faction was actually rebelling against Surak's teachings. All that we know canonically is that a group of Vulcans left the planet kind of around the time that the war was kind of wrapping up. Me and a bunch of other Star Trek nerds out there um, think it's very likely that the Vulcans that left were eventually the ones that went on to become the Romulans. And the biggest key to that is that the Romulan Empire emblem is a raptor. And again, what were they called? Those who marched beneath the raptor's wings. I, for one, think that's exactly what it was. And a little side note, and I found this out was really crazy, speaking about the atomic war between the Vulcans and the future Romulans. So it's entirely possible that this 
atomic war was allegedly allegedly instigated by Quinn and you go who the heck is Quinn and I say have you watched Voyager and you go no and I say why are you in my house (laughs) anyway um so according to this Voyager episode Death Wish Q claims a hundred year war between the two races was a result of a misunderstanding created by one of Quinn's quotes self-destructive events um or a stunt I guess you could say it and I mean, if this is true, this is yet another example of the direct influence that Quinn and by extension the Q and the Q continuum as a whole have had on the histories of various humanoid species. Um, so Quinn is just pretty much another Q. That's what they name him. So in case you didn't know that, um, which is a little fun fact. So it's like maybe the Q started this whole issue and the issue of reunification. Like, who knows? Who knows? But um Additionally, a deleted scene from the Enterprise episode Chosen Realm would have established that even after the embrace of logic, Vulcans would continue to war over that exact same interpretations of Sirach's teachings and what was the correct, you know, interpretations. I mean, we even have that in our own world. I mean, we have a million denominations within Christianity and other religions, and they go by just interpreting the text. So it's not surprised that Vulcan would have that. So the problem was, so you have these warring factions over the interpretation of Xerox teachings, and the resulting cycle of violence would have presumably lasted for centuries until the Vulcans fully embraced logic. Again, that's from a deleted scene from episode Chosen Realm. But to me, if this information had been canonized, it arguably would have given more context to another statement made by Saval in the Enterprise episode, The Forge, that after the time of awakening, it took the Vulcans nearly 1,500 years to rebuild their civilization and travel to the stars. And you may ask yourself, Jonathan, anchorman of the Federation, why is this piece of information relevant? Well, if it took Vulcans until nearly, you know, roughly the 19th century on the human calendar to return to the stars and achieve war drive, then how did the Romulans get off of Vulcan? You know? So if it completely decimated their planet, atomic war, I mean, it took them 1,500 years to kind of rebuild and get back into the stars. How did the Romulans ever leave before the war was over? Well, I'll, I'll answer that. Because, again, Luna is a great intern and does great research. So the answer is simple, my friends. They left using sublight vessels. And you may say, sublight vessels, what is that? And it's kind of in Clone Wars and in the DS9 Bajor. I'm kind of combining all resources here. Um, it's kind of ships that use light as a big wind sail. And they pushes them across the galaxy. And we know that Vulcans had that kind of sublight technology and sublight vessels. I mean, after all, the Vulcans had interstellar capability since at least the 9th century BC, again, using the human calendar, because um, that's when they built that sacred monastery, Pajem, which caused a bunch of issues later with the Andorians, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> the usage of like these sublight spacecraft 
means it would have taken years for the future Romulans to reach the nearest star system, and even decades or even centuries to finally reach Romulus itself. And along the way, the travelers would have settled on multiple worlds with the fleet of generational ships traveling at this slow speed. I mean, some broke off and found a world and colonized it. And I mean, splinter groups started a ride. And one of these splinter groups that arose from this exodus is the Debreen civilization, who, according to Star Trek canon, already had an outpost on planet Broadish 3, um, as early as the 4th century AD, again, using human calendars. Not much is known about the Debrine, except that it's a civilization that collapsed long ago and it left ruins and artifacts. This is a fun fact. Sometimes Picard likes to be Indiana Jones, and so you'll see some of the artifacts, and he'll be like, oh, this is the Debrine, and it's a pot, and be like, ooh. So there's a little fun fact that, like, you know, there is some history behind those random scenes. I mean, even the Debrine or other early Romulan offshoots They've settled a bunch of different planets like Deska 2, Draken 4, Eudalia Prime. All of these planets, interestingly enough, exist near or in the neutral zone. Hmm. So we have all of these early Romulan, you know, splinter groups, civilizations in the what would become the neutral zone, which we'll get into. <laughs> and this is kind of where we hit kind of a block wall or a snag we could go on in greater detail maybe we will in future episodes um again we'll let you know but it's it's kind of hard to see a coherent timeline after this so again they're super secretive super to themselves they're not going to let us know everything but we know eventually they left and they achieved warp drive and it's a great leap forward and then they kind of can start foraging behind the space iron curtain <laughs> just kidding um that's yeah just kidding i don't really think they're the russians but um this is where they can start building that true romulan empire so how it relates to earth is that the romulan star empire first encountered a quote-unquote united earth in 2152 leading to a period of like rising tensions as the romulans attempted to kind of provoke a war between humanity and several other species in the region. And that's, if you've never watched Enterprise, that's a big plot line in the show is that these Romulans are trying to, on the back end, again, very Machiavellian, very observationally and gathering information, trying to do their bidding behind closed doors. It failed and blew up in their face so bad that it kind of helped lead to the formation of the United Federation of Planets, or as we like to call it, the Federation. But if you're like me and you're thinking, well, why, where did this freaking neutral zone come from? It's just, I mean, it's kind of talked about, but not really. It's just, boom, in the first season of TNG, oh, the neutral zone. And we're like, okay. <laughs> and maybe a couple sentence explanations, like, oh, it's a buffer, blah, blah, blah. But... It is there because there was an open war between the Romulans and Earth that broke out in 2156. And it ended after four years of fighting. And the Romulans got defeated in a humiliating fashion at the Battle of Sharon. And it led to this armistice between the two kind of, well, 
Federation of the Empire, but the two great big bullies on the block. You know, the big powers on the block kind of led to an armistice and established the Romulan neutral zone. And then the Empire retreated into its self-imposed isolation for more than a century. 2266, the Romulans deployed a single ship equipped with the latest generation of the, you know, that infamous cloaking device as a means of just kind of testing Federation resolve. Like I said, it's been a century. They're just poking the bear. Just want to test to see what they have, you know, test us, see what we've developed and, and to see how they stack up. The bird of prey attacked several Federation outposts along the neutral zone before it was eventually defeated by uh, the USS Enterprise and kind of prevented any further escalation of hostilities from there. During this kind of period, the Romulans entered a brief technological exchange with the Klingon Empire, trading components of its cloaking technology for the latest generation of Klingon starship designs. So that's the first time I've heard about that in this timeline, but I can't find anything that refutes that. But if you can, please let me know. Then in 2293, the Kittimer Accords and the subsequent period of kind of peace between the Klingon Empire and the Federation, I mean, that represented a fundamental shift in the balance of power. Of course, the Romulan were completely opposed to it, which makes total sense. You know, these were not good things to happen when you have to, the the biggest bully on the block and then like this really wild kid, you know, start teaming up and being friends. It's like, oh, now they don't, they're not fighting one another and I can sit back and just reap all the rewards. So of course they were opposed to that. And again, hostilities continue to ramp up between the Federation, the Romulans, um, throughout the early 24th century, culminating in something that was the Tomat incident of 2311. And after this incident, which again, I, I'm kind of watching my time. I don't want to go too long. We may cover it on another episode. But after that incident, the situation was stabilized because of the Treaty of Algeron, in which the Federation agreed to cease any development into the fields of cloaking technology and prohibited this, the device aboard Starfleet vessels. So the Romulans again adopted a policy of isolationism. And I mean, they had sporadic conflict and border skirmishes um, with the Klingon Empire. And then again with, you know, the Federation, as we eventually see in the next generation. However, in 2364, the Romulans re-entered the galactic stage following a series of mysterious attacks on outposts across both sides of the neutral zone. And as we both know, and if you're a big fan of, of TNG, we know that we're the Borg, another large big baddie in Star Trek lore. And so the Borg is going on both sides of the neutral zone. They're destroying and every and pretty much the episode is the Federation believe the Romulans are doing, the Romulans believe the Federation are doing it. I'm not going to go into much more. It's a great, great plotline storyline there. And again, the Romulans just are just kind of being almost a nuisance. You know, they're, they're undermining the Federation every way they can. Uh, most notably, um, there was the attempt to break up the Federation Klingon Alliance by <laughs> supporting the Duras family during the Klingon Civil War. And I mean, even infiltrating the Vulcan reunification movement as a means to gain control over Vulcan. I mean, both those plans would ultimately fail. But 
they're still trying. Again, they're they're not out front going to war, guns blazing like a Klingon. They're going to be a little bit more calculated, a little less upfront risk, and just try to pull strings from behind, kind of like a puppet master, and see what they can do. Interesting. Um, however, the emergence of the Dominion in 2371 presented a new and enormously powerful rival to both the Romulan Empire and then the other major empires in the Alpha and the Beta Quadrants. And again, as you know, like this is if you've not seen DS9, this will be interesting recap. And if you have, this will still be a fun <laughs> recap because it, it kind of explains the latter part of Romulan history. So to counter this new Dominion threat, um, the Romulans began kind of a limited collab with Starfleet for the first time. Um, they even allowed a cloaking device to be put on the USS Defiant. And even in that same year, the Tal Shiar formed a secret coalition with the Cardassian counterpart, the Obsidian Order, to carry out kind of preemptive strike against the Dominion homeworld. And again, this is before Cardassia tucked tail and went to go join the Dominion. The Tal Shiar had been infiltrated by the Dominion, and the combined fleet was ambushed and completely destroyed. And again, kind of what they learned before in the past when they've been embarrassed, the Romulan Empire signed a non-aggression pact with the Dominion, and we're going to remain neutral, <laughs> you know? When war broke out between officially between the Dominion and the Federation Klingon Alliance in 2373, the Romulans stood their ground and remained neutral. However, when the shuttle of a prominent Romulan senator was destroyed, the subsequent investigation uncovered evidence of an imminent Dominion attack on Romulus. Or did it? Question mark. Question mark. You know, sometimes I think Garrick is right. What is one man's conscience for the safety of the Alpha Quadrant? Quoted Benjamin Sisko. Hmm. Probably one of my favorite DS9 episodes. I'm not going to go into it or ruin it, but yeah. So that forced Romulans kind of like the Lusitania did. One of the main, many reasons World, uh, the U.S. entered World War I, the Romulans entered the war, and they immediately opened a new front against the Dominion, and it really turned the tide. Having the Romulan involvement in the Dominion War was a main critical reason why the allied forces eventually won and we all hope that you know that both sides um that alliance might evolve into a lasting peace but the devastation suffered by the klingons the cardassians during the dominion war has left the, the federation and the romulans is the only great powers left Klingons are going to be cleaning themselves up for a while. Cardassia will be cleaning itself up for a while. So these, again, the two big boys on the block. And they're natural rivals in post-war era. Dang it, they might be the Russians. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, again, I'm not, we could go further into, like, how Romulus had to be evacuated in the Star 1 Supernova, and it ties into Picard, but I kind of wanted to cap it there and leave it at the golden age of Star Trek. Maybe we'll get that into a future episode in the uh, next few weeks or a few months, but we'll let you know. As for now, 
Luna, roll that beautiful bean footage. Woo-wee. Wow, that got into it. Um, and I, I always loved it because, again, I, I wanted to start the podcast to answer questions that I would just have watching the show. One of them was the Treaty of Algeron that um, Riker mentions and the neutral zone. And, and it's just nice to kind of be like, okay, these are the answers to those burning nerd Trek questions that I had. And um, now you can be the coolest guy at the party on Saturday and be like, well, actually, so <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Anyway, um, thank you all so much for listening. And if you have the time, please check out jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com. That again is jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com. He's a longtime friend and listener of the program. He does great reviews and, and things on Star Trek. No, he doesn't. He never does Star Trek. Star Wars and other things like that and other movies. So please check him out. He's great. And as always, you can find us on social media. We're on everything. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Google. We're on Amazon. We're on Instagram, Facebook, all of it. So I love interacting and talking with you guys. And remember, second star of the right. Straight on till morning.